Hey, Money Multipliers. Welcome back to another episode of the Money Multiplier Podcast. I'm your host, Hannah Kessler, and here we talk about do our dollars make sense? And today I'm feeling really, really great. I did some yoga, I did some stretching today. And um, actually today I was even just thinking about how much yoga has even impacted my life. I got into my yoga journey about four years ago. It was actually when a dad invited me down, there was an event going on that he was going to be speaking at. And uh, shout out Miss Casey Pluff, because actually she was the woman who introduced me into all of that whole world. And uh, she was hosting an event called Growth You. And in that event, you know, I learned about breath work, meditation, yoga, and, and how really the, bo- the, the body and the mind are all really connected. And if something's off balance, it's going to throw your whole life off balance. I mean, yoga has really helped me in my business life, my personal life, and then also my spiritual life, just staying calm, right? Staying grounded and staying rooted into what's truly me and to how to just successfully navigate life and to identify a problem and address it in a proper manner instead of just reacting all the time, right? So um, that's just something that I just was thinking about this morning. So shout out to all my fellow yogis. I I love doing the practice and I bet some of y'all even have other uh, outlets that y'all do that is maybe healing in the same way. Journaling, um, gym, right? Uh, Hanging out with your friends. So anyways, we'll get into it. That was just something that was on the top of my mind today. A few announcements. All right. So I'll be speaking. All right. I'm coming out to y'all. Anaheim, California. February 24th and the 25th at the Noteworthy Summit. Um, we got Provo, Utah, March 2nd to the 4th. And actually, if you reach out to me, I have discount tickets. That one's going to be really cool. That one's going to be like a, a spiritual kind of healing event. But I'm also going to be talking about money and how you treat money, where it flows and grows. It, it goes to where it's respected. So uh, kind of we'll be diving into that. Um, March 11th, Langhorne, Pennsylvania. Shout out Mr. Larry Steinhouse and investor schooling out there. Uh, Tampa, Florida, March 16th. And then we got Dallas, Texas, March 31st. So actually at the Tampa and Dallas event, it'll be uh, Pops and I. So we'll be there live and in action and in person. And as always, you can go to our website, themoneymultiplier.com forward slash events, events with an S on the end. And uh, you you can go on there and check out all of the, uh, for the full year where we'll be at. So, all right, well, let's get into it. As you can see from the title, I grasped this title actually from last year's Think Tank. So we're coming up here. I was putting some thought into it about last year, what I've learned and kind of what I've incorporated since then. And for my folks who are not familiar with Think Tank, this is an annual gathering that the Nelson Nash Institute hosts each year. And they hold it down in Birmingham, Alabama, where Nelson Nash uh, was living. And um, every year we all get together collectively and we just share our knowledge. We talk about what's going on in the economy and how we can really educate the public on what is out there and what they can do with taking back that control. So as I was sitting here thinking about it, 
I, I was thinking about how last year somebody said, I wrote down this little note, it, it says, hey, we need to look at infinite banking from a historical perspective and not an illustrative perspective. So, and I'll kind of put it in these terms. You guys have heard me say this before. I am here teaching you about a process. I'm not here talking about a life insurance product that you're paying and buying for and putting in those premiums for the death benefit. What is the practice that you're putting behind that policy? So I don't know, let's get into it. In my opinion as well, and kind of how we've been totally geared into thinking about that from day one, is our biggest mistake is that we've been taught incorrectly where our money goes first. We've just all been programmed and plugged in to have that consumer mindset. We've been consumers of the central banks since day one. What do we do, right? And what have we been taught? Well, I have been taught that in order to get this resource of money, I have to go out and trade my hours for money. I got to go do something. I got to go put myself out there and go work for myself or somebody else. And then so we've been taught when we get that money, we take that money and we go and deposit it down at the local banks. Well, why? Well, that's just where they keep the money, right? If I don't keep my money down at the local banks, I can store it underneath my mattress. I can dig a hole in my backyard and bury it, right? So that's the whole purpose of the central banks. It's a safekeeping to keep your money, right? So that's just what we've been taught. And then when that money goes down into the central bank, we use that bank to then take the money out, pay for our bills, our expenses, our vacations, rinse and repeat. I call this the financial hamster wheel. The problem is, is that we finance everything we buy through other financial institutions. Okay, so so what I mean by that is, is that when you go out, you either pay cash for something, you bank finance it, or you lease it. I don't think you stole it, right? You look like an honest person. So, so when you go and pay cash for something, you give up the interest that you could have earned, right? Because that money was sitting inside of your pocket, sitting down at the local bank earning you interest. So, so now you've just given that money and you have given it out the door and you've lost what's called the, the opportunity cost, the future earning rights on that money. So in order to get that money back inside of your pocket, working, earning you interest again, you got to go work for it, earn it somehow. So that's cash, right? Well, let's talk about bank financing it. Bank finance, well, that's obvious, right? We all kind of understand that. I pay interest to the bank. The bank is the one that's getting my interest. And then if I lease it, right, it's just me simply renting it. I have no ownership. That that financial institute is getting all of those dollars because I'm just renting it for that short amount of time. And why folks like renting or leasing items is because really they can probably get a big ticketed item at a lower cost, right? So they just rent it. Now, the problem is, though, that is never dawned on us that it's not the interest rate that is killing us. 
It is the volume of interest that we're sending out the door to other people. And it's the control of that transaction that we're giving up. So I want to break that down. Did you know that Americans today, here in 2022, oh, excuse me, we're in 2023. I'm still getting used to that. So, so here we are in 2023. And did you know that Americans spend 30% of their income goes towards interest and fees to other people? So, so let's make believe that you make 100000 a year. $30,000 a year is going out to the fees and interest that you're sending to other people. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to save anywhere from 2 to 5% because that is the average savings rate here in America. So do you see how it can get kind of tough and hard where you're sending out all of these fees and other expenses to other people and you're not able to keep that money? Here, here's one thing that my dad has, has said sometimes in the past. Actually, I think he just said this here recently. He says, it doesn't matter how much you make. It only matters how much you keep. You can go in and make $5 million each and every year, but if you're spending 5.1 in overhead expenses, it doesn't matter how much you make. It only matters how you keep, honey, right? So stop giving up that control and the interest to those other people. So let's talk about control real quick, right? When you go down and you involve somebody else into your financial life and you let's you we're making a contractual promise between us and I say hey Mr. Banker let me borrow these funds and in exchange I'll give you this collateral and uh, this is the interest that I gotta owe you and these are my monthly payments do you think that life happens sometimes absolutely you could go out and get in a car accident today please don't do that knock on wood please don't do that you go get in a car accident break your leg be out of work for four months you could have a death in the family and and that person it it, they were your your whole world and you just can't find it to get out of bed and just go and and even go to work right mental health that's a very important thing so so the bankers do not care with what's going on in your personal, business, whatever life, they just care if they're going to get their money and their dollars at the end of the day. So with you not being in control, you're giving up that freedom to those folks. Because what happens now, if you can't pay them, they're going to come and see something that that you promise them. They're going to hike up your interest rates. They're going to damage your credit score. Something bad is going to happen. And then now you're going to get, got to dig yourself out of this hole. But, but then you ask yourself, you say, but Hannah, this is just what I've been taught. This is just what I'm supposed to be doing because I don't know any other better way to do this besides just keeping my money underneath my mattress and just spending cash all day long, right? So that's why we met. And I'm happy that we met because here's something else that I hear a lot as well. You know, all right, so Hannah, you've identified the problem and and I, I guess let me add on top of that as well. Here's another problem that I just want to add quickly. We've never been taught to budget, We've never been taught how our dollars actually work. We've never been taught about how the economy works. We've never been taught about how the Fed works. We've never been taught about how to make our money go out and work for us. 
So that's what I want to be here to teach you. What is the elite and the wealthy doing that is different from what middle class Americans are doing? And how can we break that financial hamster wheel that we're in? So brings me to the infinite banking concept. For most of y'all, you guys have heard about this. Y'all have uh, seen our presentation, heard us speaking live on it. If you have not, I would pause here, go to our website, themoneymultiplier.com. Up on the homepage, click resources, and then you'll find presentation. Click on that presentation, and that is a good starting point to dive into this world of uh, IBC. So people tell us, though, they say, Hannah, So you want me to use whole life insurance to store my money and to buy the items that I'm buying in life. But I've always heard that whole life insurance is a bad place to put my money and it's the worst investment that I can ever make for myself and my family. Okay, let's break down that statement. First of all, who are we hearing that from? We're hearing it from the big financial gurus that are out there, right? The big um, um, b- big folks that have all the mainstream followers. I do agree with you that whole life insurance is a terrible investment because whole life insurance is not my investment. In my opinion, an investment can go up and it can go down, right? I mean, that's my definition of an investment. It involves risk. My whole life insurance policy is classified as an appreciating asset. That policy can never go down. It can only go up. So my policy is really not my investment. My policy is just my warehouse of my money and my wealth. You hear me say this all the time, y'all. My policy is nothing more than just my glorified savings account. That's all it is. I'm using this vehicle because number one, I have full total control of it, right? I am the 100% owner of that policy contract. I have first rights to 100% of that equity inside of that contract at any time whenever I want it. I have, so I have control. I have asset protection. Hey, if I ever get myself into some deep waters and and somebody's coming after me because I made them mad, they can't touch the dollars that's sitting inside of my policy. How about taxes? I'm getting out of the government's hair. All of my dollars and wealth that get funneled through the policy is after tax money. And now it's sitting inside of an environment where it's growing tax free for me. Uninterrupted, I guess I'll add at that too. So right, so control, we have asset protection, taxes. How about liquidity and leverage? I like that about my policies. So I do agree with you, mainstream gurus out there, that whole life insurance is a bad place to put your money in a terrible investment. Yes, I do agree with that if we're talking about traditionally whole life insurance that you buy off the shelf. Now, I know there's some IBC practitioners out there who have sold a 100% base premium policy before, which is totally fine, totally okay. I just prefer 
different ways to design the policy because I want upfront immediate access to that capital right now. I want to be able to use the money because like I said, I want to use my money to go out and go work for me so that I don't have to trade my time for money anymore. So if you, if you just go out and talk to your regular life insurance guy or neighbor down the street, yeah, they're going to show you a basic whole life policy that has zero dollars of cash in the first few years. You have to properly structure and design these policies for this banking concept. And to be honest with you, sometimes insurance companies won't even allow you to design the policy this way. So it's important to know what specific company supports the infinite banking concept that's a mutual company and I guess to add on to in my personal opinion make them understand or, or make sure they understand how this works so that you know that you're doing business with folks that hey they know what you're doing in your life create that relationship between you and the insurance company I mean that's really what it is what does Nelson Nash teach us he says that there's two businesses that we want to be in in our life one of them is the, the 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 business that supports our income, the one that gets us out of bed where we go out and, and we support our families and our livelihood with it. And the second one is the banking business. So what we're doing here right now is we are creating that relationship between you and the insurance company and creating that banking business relationship because now you are the one who's going to be in control and the owner and taking financial responsibility for your life. No one cares more about your financial life than what you do. So stop leaving that control up to other financial institutes, financial advisors, and you really understand what's going on with your dollars and your wealth. I I guess just real quick, I just want to share this story. I was talking with a gentleman this week and I did get a little upset with him. I, I shouldn't I, no, I shouldn't say upset, but I, I, I kind of got a little stern with him because he wanted me to go through. So basically, he wanted to send me all of his statements and, and, and what was coming in into his uh, financials. And he wanted me to put my pen down to paper and really write down the plan of how infinite banking fits into the puzzle piece of what he's doing. I mean, absolutely. I mean, sure. I'll do it, but I'm going to charge you for my time. Now, now, to be honest with y'all, I don't charge y'all for my time whatsoever, right? But, but, but that is more of you coming to me as you wanting me to be your financial advisor instead of your financial coach. I tell y'all this too. I am going to teach you how to fish. I am not just going to show you or, or basically do it for you. I want you to do it and I will show Show you how to do it so you can start taking that independency back in your life. And, and let me just give you a resource. Here's, here's something that I'll use. I use the app Rocket Money. Y'all have heard me talk about this before. Rocket Money, I pay them five bucks a month and I have all my bank accounts plugged into it. I'll upload my credit card statements into there and it will track what category my spending is going to and it will track what is coming in and what's going out the door and where each and every month. And so I will go in there monthly and I have a a, um, a, a pad that I write all of this on and I go in there each 
month and kind of track and see what I'm doing. Because here's something that I personally do in my life and how I incorporate infinite banking. I try to save anywhere from 10 to 30% of my income on an annual basis, no less than 10%. And where that 10 to 30% is going is into my banking policies as those policy premiums. I just feel like I have to say this. There's no silver bullet out there. Infinite banking is not going to be your silver bullet and it's not going to magically fix all of your problems. So I want y'all to stop glorifying the infinite banking concept as if you're just going to put premium dollars into this policy and then overnight you're going to be a millionaire. That's not it whatsoever. It's honestly behind the practice of how you're utilizing your policy and how you're doing doing so to reach those goals and what you're doing. It's the practice. This is what I'm talking about when I say it's the process of how you're financing the items that you're already going out in life and buying anyways. It's not just plugging premium into a product, sticking it in a drawer and letting it sit there and then, hey, someday in the future, I'm going to have all of this extra, extra dollars. I mean, yes, you will, but really you need to get into the practice and being consumer of your own banking system. Stop letting the banks, the Fed, and the government dictate and control where your money goes and what risk you're wanting to take with your money and your dollars. So I get into it that we need to look at infinite banking from a hysterical hysterical. (laughs) We need to look at infinite banking from a historical standpoint and not an illustrative perspective. So whole life insurance, I think is the greatest asset and safest place to warehouse your money. It has withstood the test of time. Whole life insurance has been around longer than our tax code has even been here. Tax code came about in 1913. And in my opinion, I think we're better off without it. There was actually a surplus in the economy before then, even during the Great Depression, even during the Civil War times, even during the dot-com crash of 08. These insurance companies have been around and paying dividends for over 100 plus consecutive years. This has stood the test of time. So why would I not follow the test of time instead of the next shiny object that's out there and and, and this dog coin that's going to be going to the moon one day? And I'm probably ruffling some feathers. I apologize. But right, it's really about, and actually I'm going to take it back to dad's quote. It's not about how much you make. It's about how much that you keep. I know that my dollars and my wealth are protected inside of this appreciating asset. And I know that this is also what the elite and the wealthy are doing. And actually, I think that's a good segue into kind of like my next topic I want to talk to you about here is, well, Hannah, you're you're telling me this is so great and so good. Well, why have I never been taught this? Why are you, you 23-year-old, you don't know much. You don't have a lot of life experience behind you. Why are you trying to teach me about the banking business in my life? I've made it this far. I've been doing all this stuff. What is something new that you're going to tell me and why should I believe? you or or, or take this information in? Why have I not heard this from my family members and my financial advisor that I'm working with? 
Well, you know, I think the first one is, is that they've never heard it before as well, okay? Because let's think about it. Who are the number one purchasers of whole life insurance in the world? They're conventional banks. And if you ever want to go fact check me or research that, go to Google and Google something called BOLI, B-O-L-I, and it stands for Bank Owned Life Insurance. You can look up any bank that you want and go see how much they hold in their portfolio of how much whole life insurance they own. So, So if banks are the number one purchasers of whole life insurance in the world, well, who are the customers of the banks? We are the American people, right? If banks do not have customers, don't they go out of business? Because how do banks stay in business? Well, banks stay in business because I go out, I trade my time for dollars, and then I go deposit that money down at the banks. And then the banks, they're giving me this interest rate for keeping my money down there. And then they go and use my money and go and lend it out to other people at a higher interest rate and are making the spread. Oh my gosh, Hannah, this is making so much sense now. Y'all get it? Y'all seeing what I'm talking about? So all I'm doing is I am just changing the way that I've been conventionally taught. I am going to be the consumer of my bank now and I'm gonna pay my self-interest and now I'm gonna be the one collecting the interest, profits, and dividends on myself instead of having the bankers making a good living off of me. Do you see what's going on? It makes so much simple sense when I put it into that terms, but we just don't, we're not taught how money works and we're not taught how to budget and we're not taught on how to, again, go out and make our dollars work for us. So I think that's one thing, you know, that, that if the bankers and the government taught us this, they would have no customers to be consumers of them, right? I think another way, you know, like, well, Hannah, even my life insurance agent and even my financial advisor, they've never even taught me about this. Why have they never done it? Well, again, I think it's because they don't know as well. And if your financial advisor or life insurance professional do know this stuff, why have they not told me already? Because... I will say this, right? I mean, when we go in and design a policy the way that we do, we take anywhere from a 60 to 90% cut in our commission by doing so. And the whole the whole philosophy of it all is, is that, hey, I can show you how to be that, that privatized banker in your life. And really, when you start diving into this whole world, you'll quickly understand that one policy is not gonna suit all of your banking needs and goals. So hopefully, you like me. Hopefully I'm a good mentor and a good coach that you'll come back wanting to start more policies with me. So it's a win-win for everybody. So I I think it's because that they've never been taught. I mean, even Mr. Chris Noggle, right? Y'all have heard Chris Noggle's story before. He was a financial advisor for New York Life for 14 years. They've never taught him this stuff. So I think it's the lack of financial literacy going on and really us having to go out there and seek the information for your for ourselves. Because let's talk about it. How did you land on this podcast? You were seeking some financial wisdom. So I stress this. We cannot, cannot, cannot compare 
the infinite banking concept to other financial vehicles and assets that we have out there. Your policy is nothing more than just that glorified savings account. That's all that I call it. All we're doing is we're funneling our cash flow through the policy to then go buy the items, products, services in life that we were already going to buy. And thus, by doing so, we create that financial tailwind, that perpetual tailwind that keeps pushing us forward because A, we're in control and B, we never lose the interest and opportunity cost on our money for the rest of our life. So... Do not hone in on the illustrations. When you're working with the money multiplier, absolutely, absolutely. We hone in and we dive into those policy illustrations, but you cannot really follow those policy illustrations because you're always going to be practicing and utilizing this vehicle when you're financing those items, products, investments, um, uh, vacations in life. Okay, so so that that's really just what I wanted to stress in this episode and kind of get that point across that you got it. You got to still hone in on the history of IBC. Do not stray away from your reason why you started this concept. Okay, listener writing questions. All right, this is an uh, a Facebook message that I got uh, here this past week. They're asking, "Hey, Hannah." If my annual premium is set for 12,000 a year, but I have loans outstanding, and now it says that my premium is 12,000 plus the interest of the loan, will I run into a mech if I pay my premium for the 12,000 plus the interest? So, no, you're not. So now what what this person is talking about is that they are coming back up on their next year, their next anniversary date of their policy. And so their annual premium is coming due. And, and reminder for my folks out there, you do not have to do an annual lump sum premium. You can do monthly, quarterly, twice a year, or annually. And, and so they're coming up on their next premium. They got their annual statement in, their, in the mail, and I imagine that payment notice. And so when they get that payment notice, they'll, they'll look on there and they'll see, all right, I have 12,000 of my premium that's due and I'll even break it out into what's owed to the base premium and the paid up additions rider. And then and then it'll also say what is your loan outstanding balance and what is the interest that's due on the loan. And so what I tell you is always 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 pay the loan interest annually and pay it out of pocket. Because if you don't, the insurance company will deduct it from your future cash value. So what I would do for you, uh, go in, make that 12,000 premium, and then also add the interest that's due on the loan. Let's just make believe it's a thousand bucks. So send them a total of 13,000 for this year going towards the policy and keep using your loan money, right? Loans are not required to be paid back. So you don't pay it back if you're still using it, have an active need for it. All right. Hey, Hannah, I love listening to the pod. Fast forwarding 40 years from now, we're using, we're using our policy to retire. When does the funds become taxed? For example, I put in 400000 as total 
premiums into my policy. And at that time, I now have $2 million of cash value. And let's say I start, I decide to withdraw on it for retirement income until I die. So when would the funds become taxed? All right. So here's a good rule of thumb to follow. So for this person, if they're talking about income replacement through the policy, they are, I imagine, actually, there's kind of two ways you could do it. You can take loans from the policy for income replacement or retirement income, or you can start taking withdrawals. There's pros and cons to both of them. But here's the rule. You can withdraw tax-free from your policy up to the cost basis. So in this example, he put in 400,000 over the lifetime of his policy. That is his outside net injection into the policy. And right now he has $2 million of cash value sitting there. So he can withdraw tax-free 400,000 out of his policy. Now, when he withdraws, though, you are surrendering part of your death benefit because the cash in the policy is nothing more than a prepayment of your death benefit. So if you withdraw, you are withdrawing and surrendering a portion of your death benefit. And when you withdraw, you're stopping the compounding on the cash inside of your policy because you're physically taking the money out. But it makes sense sometimes, right? I mean, no interest would be charged to me on policy loans, tax-free withdrawals that I can take out. And and let me say that one more time. Tax-free withdrawals. Okay. Now, once you get to that point of the 400,000 that you've withdrawn tax-free, now maybe I'll tell you, hey, go ahead and start taking out loans from the policy. Take out tax-free loans each and every year from your policy and start using that to live off of, all right? And you, you can do that. You can, even if you wanted to, you could have the interest roll over each and every year and have it sit there and be deducted and compound. I personally wouldn't do that. I personally would just pay the dollars out of pocket each and every year. But uh, but but there's some different ideas. So to answer your question, you can withdraw tax-free up to that cost basis. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Actually, and if you're watching on YouTube, I hope you uh, saw a few of the planes come by. You saw a few folks walking around the office. And uh, because I am here up at the office right now until my uh, studio gets done. But I hope you enjoyed this episode. I I personally really did. I I thought I brought the fire and the heat to y'all and I got more coming your way. So I I hope you enjoyed. And where we ask ourselves, do my dollars make sense? Think about that. Do your dollars really make sense? sense y'all all right rate this podcast subscribe subscribe to the youtube to the podcast um if you want to find us we're out there on instagram facebook youtube the money multiplier and feel free if you want to catch me on my personal accounts instagram tiktok uh facebook as well hannah underscore kessler hannah spelled the same ways forwards and backwards kessler with one s and um until next week i'll see you then Bye, y'all.